Luke 12, beginning in verse 35, says, And Jesus said to them, Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Are you ready? It's a question that gets in all in life. How long till dinner will be ready? Have you studied? Are you ready for the test tomorrow? In major sporting events, we even have songs. You might think of, are you ready for some football? Or you might think of the upbeat song, are you ready for this? Or the boxing or wrestling matches where some deep voice announcer bellows, let's get ready to rumble. I don't have a good voice, so I can't do it. But you know what I'm talking about. People have to get ready. And then there are serious things we get ready for, surgeries. So they have pre-ops. You have flights. There's a pre-flight checklist. And then the question, are you ready for takeoff? There's even a website, ready.gov. shows you how to prepare for natural disasters. Well, this morning we come across Jesus' command for his disciples to be ready for his return. You know, some believe that history is cyclical. It's just constantly repeating itself. Others have this idea of, well, what's happening is reincarnation. You live, you die, and then you come back as another life form. Some still say, well, look, when you die, it's just over. That's it. And yet God's word says in Hebrews 9:27, it is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. However, it might be that Jesus returns before we die. Are you ready? You may be eager that winter is going to come. You may be longing for winter to come. You may not care if winter comes. You might be skeptical and think winter never comes. Well, it doesn't really matter what you think or how you feel about it. Winter is going to come. And you'll need to be ready. You'll need to have some way to heat your house. And you'll need to have some type of coat. In a like fashion, it doesn't matter how you feel or what you think about Jesus returning. He will come. 
Are you ready? What does it even mean to be ready? Well, Jesus is going to show us how to be ready with three big ideas. First, in verses 35 through 40, we're ready by being alert and obedient. Second, in verses 41 through 46, we're alert by faithfully serving those who he's put under us or around us. And third, we're ready by fully using what God gives us. But first, in verses 35 through 40, we're, uh, we're ready by being alert and obedient. And to realize what's going on, we have to remember that this is part of a larger section. All the way back at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together. This is the same sermon Jesus has been telling, because when the crowds came, he warned them. He said, look, don't be like the Pharisees. They're hypocrites. They look righteous on the outside, but on the inside, they're hypocrites. They love sin. And so he gave them this warning, and he told that judgment will come, and you have to confess me now. But then there was a man in the crowd who responded to all of Jesus' serious words by saying, but Jesus, will you make sure I get my share of the inheritance? And so Jesus responded and said, look, don't be focused on the things of this earth. Watch out for greed. Look, I just warned you of all these things, and all you can think about is possessions. And so he told a story of a rich fool who had a bumper crop year. And what did he do? He said, well, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. And then I'll provide for myself because I'm set for years. And I'll eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you're a fool for this night. Your soul is required. And who's going to enjoy those things? And then Jesus continued on how money, possessions can control us by looking at our anxieties over them. And he gave seven reasons that we don't need to be anxious. First, our life, the meaning of life is being related to God, not to things here. So we don't need to be anxious about those things. Second, God cares for the sparrows flying overhead. He's going to care for you because they're just worthless, unclean birds. He sent his son to die for you. Third, worry doesn't even improve anything. In fact, all it can do is ruin your health. So trust your omnipotent father who does have control of all things. Fourth, God is adorning these flowers who here today, gone tomorrow. How much more does he care for you? Fifth, birds, plants, they only know God as creator. And he still cares for them. We know God as our eternal father. So you can trust him. Sixth, we get anxious about what can be taken away, but we've been given a kingdom that will never be taken away. So put your hope in what is eternal and secure. And so seventh, if we've believed all these things, then we can be generous and give away because our worship is not of things. Our worship is of him. And so Jesus then transitions, because look, if you're living in light of his kingdom, well, that should affect you, and it should affect you even being eager for him to return is where we are in verse 35, because life's not just about here and now. And so Jesus tells them, well, what you need to do is gird your loins, well, what he's talking about is they would wear robes and they would be long and flowing. And when they tried to run, they would stumble. So they would pull them up and tie it around their waist. So then they were unencumbered and they could run freely. It's a symbol, a word, a phrase of being eager and alert. This was first used in Exodus 12 when God was telling the Israelites to get ready for the Passover. And he said, when you eat the meal, gird up your loins. That way when Pharaoh releases you, you're ready to go, eager to go when the time comes. 
along with being physically ready, they're supposed to have their lamps with the wick trimmed and oil in it. So if he comes by day, they'll see by the light of the sun, or by night, they'll see. And then Jesus illustrates this by telling in verse 36 of a servant or servants who are waiting for their master to return from a wedding. Now, weddings in their day were not like ours. Ours might be, if it's a long wedding, half a day an affair. Weddings in their culture could take days, even up to a week. So the servants don't know exactly when is the master going to come home. But whenever he does, he doesn't want to knock and then wait there. He doesn't want to have to start looking in the windows and going, is anyone home? Will someone let me into my own property? No, they should be waiting for him. They should always be ready. And Jesus says, those who wait and watch for their master, they'll be blessed. But then he says something very shocking. Look in verse 37. He says to them, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Now this is not at all the way the masters of their time acted. The masters then, then after they were served, go, well, let me serve you. Jesus is saying he's a completely different master than anyone else. He came not to be served, but to serve. He came washing his disciples' feet, a task that even servants weren't required to do because of how gross it was. But here, Jesus is saying, look, he came to serve, and he's going to serve a great feast. Jesus is tying into Old Testament language, prophecies. Isaiah 25, 6 says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And then in Revelation, this is also foretold of. Revelation 19, 7-9, which says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deed of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where the marriage supper, where the bride will come and serve, sorry, the groom will come and serve his bride, the church. This is a master unlike any master we have never, ever known on this earth. God is eternally perfect. He never needed anything or anyone. And yet, the creator and master of the universe has come down and said he will serve us. Our eyes cannot see, our hearts imagine all of the incredible, wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. Well, Jesus continues in verse 38, because he says they'll be even more blessed if they keep watching into the third, second and third watch. This would be going into midnight, three in the morning, the watches where you're just hoping the next guard comes so you can be relieved, the watches where the slightest sound, the slightest movement gets your attention because it's so dark you can't see. And Jesus is saying, look, be alert even at those times when you wouldn't expect anything. And Jesus then adds another illustration 
because he tells them of a homeowner in verse 39. If you know at 2.37 tonight, a thief is going to come to your house, well, you'll set the alarm for 2.30, maybe 2.25 to be safe, and you'll be ready. You know they're coming. Except the thief never sends a notice, hey, I'm going to come tonight. So you always need to have your house protected. You know, sadly, many people, when they think about God, they think, yes, I'm going to get serious about God. I'm going to obey him, but I'm going to do that later in life. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to live it up. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to enjoy life. And then when I get older, I'll get serious about God. Except this thinking really has two fatal flaws. First, it says you know how long your days will be. But as seen in Jesus' story of the rich fool, at any moment, you could be called before him. Last year in 2018, the state of Texas had 3,639 fatal crash accidents. That is more than 10 a day. You know, I doubt any one of those people got into their car and said, you know what, today I'm driving out for the last time. But every single day in Texas alone, 10 people will die unaware. You do not know the day or hour. And so you must always be ready. Now that could spiral us into anxiety. Or, as we just saw, that could lead us to trust our omnipotent Father. Because He knows the day or hour. And we can trust that His timing is right. So, every day, every hour, every second, we must be ready for Jesus' return. But really, there's a second fatal error in that thinking. Because what does it mean to come to God, if to come to God is after you've really enjoyed life. That's not understanding what it means to come to God, because to come to God is to come to life. To say I'm going to enjoy life and then come to God is to have a picture of God that is not the real God. Because God is life. If you want to enjoy life, repent and come to Him now. There's no need to wait. You can fully enjoy life now with Him. Thus, we should be ready and prepared for Jesus because we don't know the hour to expect him. Jesus even says in verse 40, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, if you know anything about church history, you would almost wonder, did Jesus really say that? Because a lot of people said, no, actually, we know when Jesus is coming. Harold Camping was a radio host broadcast in 150 markets. And he and his organization spent $100 million to spread the message that Jesus was returning September 21st, 2011. Jesus did not return. But this had actually been updated because Camping had made predictions of September 4th or 6th, he wasn't real sure, 1994. This is not to be outdone by Edgar C. Weisenhunt, who wrote 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Happen in 1988, only to be followed by 89 Reasons the Rapture Will Happen in 1989, and then in 1993, and then 1994. In the 1840s, William Miller taught that the scripture was clear. Christ is going to return in 1848, sorry, 1844. A follower even promoted these ideas, and they sent out 5 million tracts. And the date was clear, March 21st, 1843. So, some Millerites sold all their possessions. They put on white robes. They went to the highest hill or mountain they could find because Christ was returning. 
But then he realized he made a mistake. He's coming six months later. And then six months later, they made a mistake. And yet Jesus is clear. No one knows when he is coming. We must always be ready. We should live differently. And Jesus' words here make clear that to be ready means you must be alert. And you must be obedient. They're really two sides of the same coin. For the way we're alert is to be obedient. And the first step of obedience is to submit your life to him. To trust him. To repent of your sins. To realize to be ready means my sin needs to be taken care of. And to be have my sin taken care of can only be done through Christ. And so it's to come to him in faith and repentance. The second step is to realize it doesn't stop with confessing Christ, but continuing to confess and obey him. In the beginning chapters of Revelation, God, through the Apostle John, sends seven messages to the churches. And one of the churches is Sardis. In Revelation 3, God says, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. And so this message is not to unbelievers. This message to the church of Sardis is to believers, and he's saying you need to continue to repent. You need to continue to be ready every day, every hour. Your repentance is not just something you do in order to be saved. Repentance is how you live as a saved person. Thus, your readiness is shown not only by confessing Christ, but also continuing to follow him in faith and repentance, to live a life of obedience. Earlier, we had read 2 Peter 3, 14, and in it it said, Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these things, it's talking about the coming of Christ, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. Thus, only with being alert and obedient will we be ready. And But Jesus also says we must faithfully serve those under us. Or we could even add around us, verses 41 through 46. Because Peter replies, well, look, Lord, are you saying this to us or to everyone? And what Jesus says next is an illustration about a house manager. Now, a house manager is a servant, a steward, a butler. If any of you have watched Downton Abbey, it would be someone like, blanked on his name, someone knows it. Carson, thank you. Carson. The man who is in charge when the owners of the home aren't there. They oversee everything else. And there, this house manager, one of their roles, well, Jesus says in the question, is to provide the food for the servants while the owner is gone. And if he comes back and the owner finds him doing his job, then he'll be blessed. He'll be rewarded. Verse 44, he says, he will set him over all his possessions. His faithfulness over a little will lead to him being rewarded with much. Your God's rewards for his followers in heaven is not that you'll get a gilded gold robe to sing in the choir for all eternity. It's not that you'll get a nicer harp because you'll be strumming on clouds for the rest of your life. When you're in heaven, it's clear. We'll be working, we'll be serving, we'll be delighting in God. We'll not just be up there floating around. 
Revelation 21 gives us a glimpse of heaven and tells of government and people bringing gifts to God. There'll be craftsmen, there'll be things they'll do. We'll eat, we'll drink, we'll relax. We'll do everything to God's glory. And here Jesus is saying, what you do now is going to be rewarded with blessings of greater jobs in heaven. And that's Jesus saying this is what faithfulness looks like. But then he contrasts it, verse 45, with an unfaithful manager. This one goes, well, hey, he hasn't come back for a long time. And he starts using his power to abuse the servants. He starts using his position for pleasure. He starts eating, drinking, getting drunk. Really, he's doing what Jesus warned of in chapter 12, verse 19. He's being the fool who doesn't care about anything but himself. Now think about what Jesus just said the true master of all is going to do. The true master is going to come and serve his servants. This master is all about, you're going to serve me. You're going to do what I say. There couldn't be a greater contrast. So Jesus is saying, look, being ready, living in light of him, it manifests itself in how do we use the possessions he's given us? How do we treat those around us? Well, he's not here yet, so I'm just going to abuse you. I'm going to use you so you can help my life get better. Or do we serve those under us and even around us? Sadly, we don't have to look around very long or even past our own hearts to see that often when we get power, we like to wield it for our own benefit, to help our friends, to help our family, but not for all. To quote from Lord Acton, Without the redeeming gospel of Christ, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We use our power, we use our influence for me, 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 not to serve as God has entrusted us in various places. And thus in verse 46 says, Jesus says that the master will come when that servant, that manager is not ready. One of my favorite books is Farmer Boy. Some of you may have read it. It's by Laura Ingalls Wilder about a young boy named Almanza Wilder who's growing up in upstate New York on a large farm. And one week, his parents go on a week-long vacation and leave him and his brother and two sisters in charge. And the parents are barely out of the driveway before they go, let's make ice cream. And then that afternoon, they make cakes. And then they make candy. And all week they're eating the watermelons from the patch. They're making cakes. They're eating ice cream. They're having a blast. Life is great. Till the morning before, the parents are supposed to come back. And as they're chowing down on another great breakfast, their sister says, Mom and Dad are coming back tomorrow. And everyone stopped eating. And a sickening look went over their stomachs and face as they realized we have a week's worth of work to do and one day to do it. And they worked like crazy to get that place look like they'd been ready the whole time. You know, they weren't ready. If mom and dad had shown up early, they would have been caught having been negligent. They were not ready at any moment or time. And Jesus, though, is calling us any moment, any time. You must be ready for his return. Now, it's important to note that Jesus is saying his return is not necessarily going to be immediate. 
Some people have misread the New Testament to say Jesus and his followers thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. So this isn't true. Well, Jesus just said it might come in the second or the third watch, or proverbially much longer than you might think. He's talking here of a delay. And so every disciple, whether you're in the first century or the 21st century, we are all called to be ready. But Jesus says of this master who comes and finds that manager who beat his slaves, who was just enjoyed all the possessions for himself, he says that that servant will be destroyed. He'll be cut. Literally, the language speaks of cutting in two for that unfaithful servant who will be put with the unfaithful. Now, when we hear such punishment, we almost wince and, well, isn't that a little harsh? I mean, yes, he didn't do his job, but isn't that maybe a little over the top? And yet we forget what sin is. Sin is not just a minor mistake we make or a little error. Sin is, to use R.C. Sproul's words, cosmic treason. It's telling the creator of the universe, what you've told me to do is not good and it's bad for my life and I will not submit to you. And along with that, we have to realize this image of cutting in two It's coming from Exodus, Exodus 29, where it's talking about a sacrificial lamb that's going to be prepared. And when Jesus uses language, he fully realizes that he's the lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. That that harsh language is going to be applied to him. That he is going to metaphorically be cut in two so that we might be ready to come before God. He's not just talking about what's going to happen to those people and I'm going to be harsh to them. He goes, I will take that punishment for you so that you can be ready to come before your master and know him as father. And so Jesus knows this is harsh, but he knows he did this for us. And by him doing that, then the curtain, the veil of the temple was torn in two so that we might have access to God. And yet Jesus is warning, look, if you spurn me, then that condemnation will fall on you and not me. And so Jesus is showing us here that part of being ready for him is faithfully serving anyone who's around you. Not to get power so you can now be the boss. Now you can tell mom and dad put me in charge. You got to do what I say. But I'm in charge. How can I serve? How can I help you out and so we have to ask is your life about promoting self about making sure that you have the best time that you're not even giving a second thought to others jesus says if we're living like that we're not living in light of his return we're not living as though we are ready those who are ready use their lives not for themselves but for others Well, lastly, Jesus tells of two more groups of servants and whether they're ready by saying, look, you need to fully use what God gives you, verses 47 through 48. Jesus says in verse 47, And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. You hear, I think the language is tying to the Jews who know what God has told them to do. In Romans 2, Paul talks about, though you know what to do, though you teach others, we have God's law, They don't obey it. They don't do the very things they say, well, this is what God tells you to do. Honoring God is not just about 
having a lot of scripture memorized. It's not about being able to answer the arguments, being able to teach others. Well, I know what the answer to that question is. Well, I can answer that. Well, I know that. It's are you living in response to what you know? Are you living faithfully because you know those things? But then Jesus tells of a second servant, verse 48, who doesn't do what the master wants, but because he doesn't know what the master wants. And so he's going to get a lesser punishment because he wasn't acting in clear rebellion. Now, this verse is another insight that God views not every sin, not every person the same. Sometimes Christians will say, look, all sin's the same. All sins are the same thing. Yet that's not what the Bible teaches. Yes, James 2.10 clearly says one sin is enough to make you guilty of all, but it's not saying that means all sins are the same. The point is not that all sin is equal as serious or heinous in God's eyes. Yes, Jesus is saying all sin, white lie to murder. Those are all horrible in God's eyes, but they're not all equally reprehensible. You know, Jesus here has been talking about leaders, and one of the main aspects of leading in the church is teaching. And James, his brother, says, James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we sh- who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. There's going to be a higher level of judgment for teachers. And so the more you know, the more influence you have, the greater accountability you'll have before God. And so Jesus concludes that to those whom much has been given, much will be required. Thus, whatever God has given you, use it to your fullest. Maybe he's given you great knowledge. Well, then use that to... Teach others. Maybe he's given you a wealth of time. Well, use that time, that free time, to serve him and others. Maybe he's blessed you with money. Well, then use that money to be a blessing to others. We often like to focus on other people and go, well, if I had that much money, you know what I would do? Well, if I had that type of knowledge, you know what I would do? And basically we're saying, I would do better with that amount of responsibility. And yet God is not going to judge us on how well we recognize how those people did or didn't do. God's going to judge on, well, what did you do with the gifts and talents, whether great or small, that he blessed you with? And so we need to be saying, what can I do with what God has blessed me with? He will judge you on what you did with what he gave you. And we need to realize that that judgment will not necessarily be only on, I put in quotes, spiritual things. But in all of life, what you're doing for him. Many of you are familiar with Martin Luther, the famous reformer. And one day, a young man came up to him, a very zealous young man for the Lord, and said, Brother Martin, if you knew tomorrow that Jesus was going to return, what would you do today? And Martin Luther said, I would plant a tree. And the young man was shocked. Well, what do you mean you would go plant a tree? Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And he said, well, I would plant a tree because that's what I plan to do today. And his point was, look, no matter what you're doing, you can do it for God. And so you don't need to go do some great task. You can be a good steward of what he's given you. My friend Richie Goodrich writes, Luther meant that he lived every day as if Jesus would return but that did not always mean doing things that we would consider radical. 
We serve Jesus by loving our families, by working hard in our jobs to serve our neighbors, by being good stewards of the creation, by faithfully witnessing with our lives and our words to the gospel of Jesus Christ, by caring for our neighbors with deeds of mercy, and so on. Our life in this world matters, and as we eagerly look forward to that day when Jesus returns, we serve him best by doing everything he's called us to do with his strength and for his glory. So are you ready? Like winter, you might be eager. You might not care. You might dread it. You might be a skeptic. doesn't matter. Winter's coming. You must be ready. In April 1912, the famous Titanic began its first transatlantic journey with confidence and readiness. No ship had ever taken the precautions that it had taken, for they'd built 16 watertight compartments that if they even hit something, they could just seal them off and keep on going. No ship of this size, this elegance, this safety had ever been built, hence the name Titanic. And many proclaimed her unsinkable. Yet, their concern for pleasure and their confidence of safety lulled them into dangerous laxity. They even received a radio call that night. Hey, you're in an area where there are icebergs. And how did the radio operator respond? Would you leave me alone? I have messages from the people on the ship that they want to send to people on shore. Stop bothering me with that stuff. And so at 11.35 p.m. when the man shouted out, iceberg ahead, it was too late. Even that day, they had planned lifeboat safety check. Let's have a drill. And they had canceled it. What was proclaimed to be ready was not ready at all. They wrongly had put their confidence in what had been done in the past, and it made them unprepared in the moment. What is your confidence that you are ready to come before God? Is it something in the past? Well, yes, when I was 12, I did this thing. I prayed to trust Christ. When I was 18 in college, I was really serious. I remember a time when I just wept over my sin. I know I'm good because what I did in the past. Jesus says you need to be alert and ready today. Those things in the past, they're great. Don't denigrate them. They're wonderful, but if they're not leading you to being alert, being obedient today, then you're putting your confidence in the wrong thing. But though the leaders and the crew of the Titanic weren't ready, the band was. Their leader was Wallace Hartley. He was a strong believer in Christ, and he'd already told a friend that if he was ever on a ship that was sinking, because shipwrecks were quite common at that time, he would either play, Oh God, our help in ages past, or Nearer my God to Thee. So as people are beginning to panic, what does the band do? They begin to play. They play music that will calm the panicking people's nerves. And they played many songs. They weren't all hymns. But as they got closer to the inevitable, the ship is tilting, they began to play hymns. And the last song they played was Nearer my God to thee. You know, Hartley was alert. He was obedient. He was ready. Why? Because he was serving those around him with the gifts God had given. 
He wasn't concerned about himself. He was going, how can I help these people? He knew, look, I'm ready to come before Christ. I'm nearer my God to thee. And now you are nearer to God than you were at the beginning of the sermon. Every moment, you are one second moment closer to God. Are you ready? Jesus says, look, to be ready, be alert. Be obedient. Be living a life of repentance and trust. Be serving those around you. And whatever gift I've given you, just use it to your best for my glory. He has made us ready through his death and resurrection, and he says, be alert, ready for me to return. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are only ready because of what your son did for us. And Lord, may we continue to respond to his great love for us by continuing to love you back. Lord, we do love because you loved us first. Oh Lord, may we not treat each day lightly, but may we each day be eager for your return. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.